Hey, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Hey, you guys. Well, welcome. Okay, so glad you're all here. And, man, one, quite a week in our country, right? Uh, so before we get into the sermon, uh, you know, Christians have always been pro-life, you know, and uh, we value life. We believe that all human life is precious, and I thank God for the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I really do. And, and so, you know, in Rome, in the Greco-Roman world, whenever the first church was born, we just sang about, whenever the first church of Jesus first came about, you know, the Greco-Roman world used to throw babies they didn't want onto a trash pile. They would, you know, if there was any kind of, you know, imperfection or dads that wanted a boy and it was a girl, they would just kind of throw the babies on a trash heap. And the first church would go and collect those little babies from the trash heap and they would take them into their homes and they would care for them and they would raise them as their own. That's who we are. Okay, so the church of Jesus has always been about kids. Okay, we've always been, and that comes from our Savior who said, let the little children come to me. This is who we are from the very beginning, from our Savior himself. And so, you know, being pro-life is is a lot more than just being anti-abortion, right? And so it's this whole life ethic from womb to tomb that we get to, So we are the people who care for those in need, who step toward the people who are in need. And so it's time now, church, to double down on our ongoing efforts. We're already doing a lot to double down and care for people, to foster children, adopt children, to care for women with unplanned pregnancies. You know, this all gets really personal really quick, right? I know this is starting kind of heavy today. Um, You know, my my biological great-grandmother had an unplanned pregnancy with my granddad. I talk about him a lot in here. My home, he planted my home church. He was my pastor my whole life. Died just a couple years ago. DJ Benson, the right reverend. Okay, so my biological great grandmother got pregnant in 1929 with my granddad. She was just a teenager, and so they hid her away for nine months. She had him, and they put him in a shoebox and out in the backyard to die. And the neighbors heard him crying, and they went and found him and took him to an orphanage. And he bounced around from orphanage to orphanage his whole life. When he was 20, he met my grandmother at Mississippi College, and the, she was the first person to say, I love you, his whole life, okay? And he would go on to go into the military service, get a college degree, pastor for 65 years. All of his kids and grandkids today are in full-time ministry, and I praise God that he had the chance to live, okay? So I know it's a touchy subject. I know it's a heavy subject, um, and one of the complaints about churches these days is that we are too political. I, I, I don't desire to say anything political at all, okay? What I desire to say to you this morning about all this is that we're the people of love, and our call here is to step toward people in love, that we're the people who apply salve to wounds and balm to pain, that we're the people who offer light and darkness, peace and chaos, we're God's ambassadors, and so We're the people who refuse to judge anybody else because I am the chief of sinners. That's where y'all amen, because y'all are too, okay. And we step toward people in love every single day. That's who we are. Okay, so I think it's an appropriate time for us to just take a second and pray for our country. Pretty divided right now, and so we don't wish to create more of a divide. We create to apply love, okay. So let's bow our heads right now and pray for our country before we get into the sermon. God, thanks uh, that you've done so much in our country this weekend. We're grateful for the opportunity for so many more to live. And God, we we pray for the divide now. Passion on both sides, 
and it feels like even there's more than two sides here, and I pray that you would help us as your people, as your church, refuse to be the people of judgment, but insist on being the people of love. Give us ideas, give us energy, give us clarity of thought as we help bridge these divides and care for people in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, time for the sermon. Okay, so uh, again, welcome. Just let me kind of transition. Okay, so again, welcome. So glad. So a lot of you, it's your first time today or it's kind of your second or third time. Let me just tell you, I couldn't be happier. Anytime somebody new comes, I think you see even in our faces how excited we are. And so keep coming. Really, I want to insist that you uh, fill out one of those connection cards and take it to the back at the end for us to give you that gift. And so that I'll be calling. I'm not calling you this week. I'm about to head to the beach. But I'll call you next week. I promise. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be a crazy 10 next week. You guys will see. All right, so if, you're, so if you haven't filled out a connection card, please do that now. Okay, so we're going to start a new short sermon series this morning about praying through the Psalms. I'm really excited about it. You know, prayer is something that I think we all want to grow in, right? And uh, it's something that we find comfort in, and it's just kind of a matter of fact that we all kind of, most or if not all of us feel that not that great about how much, how often, or really how rarely we pray. Okay, just me. That's just me. We want to pray. We want to know God and for him to know us. We'd love to sit and just kind of have a chat with the Father. Then all of a sudden, it's been a day, it's been a week, it's been months since that's happened, right? And so David and the other writers in the Psalms, David didn't write all 150, okay? So he wrote a lot of them. But they teach us by example, right? What I mean is, I'm not sure that David wrote Psalm 51 that we'll read today, if you want to go ahead and turn or scroll there. I'm not sure if he wrote this to teach us to pray, but rather he wrote out his prayer as he was processing his real circumstances, tough circumstances that he was in, and now we can learn from his example. So as we examine this prayer today, we want to know, and as we go through the series, like how do we approach God? Like how do I approach the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing King of Kings, like Am I supposed to approach him in some measured and shy way? Like, if I had a meeting with the governor of Texas this week, let's say, I would think through what I was going to say. Right? I wouldn't just, like, show up and just go, hey, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? Do you know who won the game last No, I would I'd probably rehearse my greeting. Like, am I going to go, bro, like, what, what are you going to do? So I, I would really think through if I was going to meet. And, and Yahweh and the governor of Texas, they're, power is not comparable, right? And so, but we don't approach, we don't have to approach God's throne in prayer with timidity. We don't have to be shy or nervous. He is over and over and over, all throughout the Bible, it describes God as our Father. And in Galatians, it even says he's our Abba Father, our Dad. Tim Keller says the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. So we are children. Your picture's in Wallet, you're the background on his iPhone, okay? So let's look at the five example prayers and psalms over the next few weeks to see how our good father uh, wants us to approach him. And along the way, I really want to make this really, really practical. Again, what happens a lot of times is, what do I do with my hands? What's next? Okay, great. I, I want to pray. I want to approach God like David here in Psalm 51, but, but how? So from our time together, maybe you add a waking prayer, or, or maybe you change your mealtime prayer, or you replace Hello, some screen time with some prayer, or add a prayer with your spouse or children or roommates, or add a bedtime prayer. So as we walk through this psalm today in the next few weeks, I want you, put your name on it, to be thinking how to implement changes into your daily or weekly life to increase your prayer with God. So think, okay, what is a habit 
that I can implement into my life daily or weekly. Okay, so as we get into Psalm 51, we got to start with the preamble there, even before verse 1. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So David wrote this, when Nathan, his kind of right-hand man, Nathan the prophet, went to David after David had gone in to Bathsheba. Okay, so maybe many of you are familiar with what it's talking about there. So before what we're going to read today, before all this, David saw Bathsheba, this woman. He desired her. They got together, and she got pregnant. Okay, so after Bathsheba got pregnant, now she was a married woman. Okay, so after she got pregnant, David got all nervous, so so he sent her husband, who had nothing to do with any of this, sent her husband to the front lines of a war, effectively having an innocent man killed. Okay, so, and and let me be clear about what, so that account is in 2 Samuel 11. Let me be clear about what 2 Samuel 11 is clear about. David took advantage of Bathsheba. She didn't seduce him. She wasn't trying to get with the king or anything like that. No, he used his power to get what he wanted. David did things. So the prelude to this prayer, he did things that a lot of us would never forgive him for. Okay? And he's embarrassed. His worst desires, his worst actions exposed. He's devastated. He's ashamed. And then David turns to God and prays, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me, God, thoroughly from my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Everywhere I look, it's a reminder of what I've done. Verse 4. Against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done evil what's in your sight. Now, he's not saying he didn't sin against Bathsheba. A little bit is lost in translation there. He's really focusing on, in that verse, how he's primarily sinned against God. So don't, he's not saying he hasn't sinned against Bathsheba. Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, he's lamenting, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I can be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. I'm not hearing that right now. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So David knows he needs a fresh start. He knows he's not going to find it in, kind of in some self-help book. He's not going to find it from within by following his own heart. That's, what's gonna, that's what got him in this mess in the first place. He needs to be renewed in God. Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit that I will teach transgressors. I'm going to teach transgressors your way, God. Sinners are going to return to you because of my testimony of forgiveness. Deliver me from, from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. You're not going to delight in sacrifice or I'd give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, that you will not despise. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So my first observation, I have four observations quickly to make through the text this morning. My first observation that I want us to kind of double click on is David processes his shame with God. You see that? Uh, instead of trying to clean himself up first, instead of trying to heal on his own or trying to figure out what's going on in his own heart and then going to God, 
So he, he goes to God and pours out his pre-reflective emotions there at God's feet, at God's throne. He bears his soul to God before he even bears his soul to his small group or his best friend, right? And that's the kind of relationship that God wants with you. Uh, so many folks have did not have dads that were that way, and so a lot of times it can be hard to even imagine a father God who wants to go out and sit on the porch and just talk. But that's the kind of relationship he wants with you. So when you sense conviction of sin, when you know you've messed up and all of us have fallen short, you've, you, you know, you're ashamed of what you did or you did that again, okay, God wants you to go to a private place, close the door, and pour your heart out to him. Don't run from God, run to him in your sin, because that's exactly why he saved you. He didn't come and die on a cross and be raised again because you're perfect. Okay, he died on the cross for your sins because you're a sinner. Okay, and I am too. And so when you're in sin, don't run from God or run far and fast away from him like we tend to do. But when you're in sin, when you sin, run to him because that's when he has his arms open wide. Probably my favorite song of all time. I've told Courtney I want it sung at my funeral. Okay, I know that's, it's a song called No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. No one ever cared for me. I think we so often miss his care for us, you know. Uh, David just had somebody killed, and, but he knew that God would be there to listen. You know, think about that, to care. So is that your view of God? You know, A.W. Tozer said, what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what do you think about when you think about God? Right? Do you picture an angry old guy just kind of pointing his finger at you, furrowed brow, and mad about what you've done? Okay. Do you picture just kind of some aloof, just kind of not really worried about the circumstances in your life, not really thinking about you? Is that what you picture? Or do you picture the God of the Bible, who like when the prodigal son was far away in sin and comes running home in Luke 15, the father runs to his boy, runs to his child, and kisses him and throws him a party. Okay, because his boy is home. The boy had messed up and all this stuff, but the father was waiting with open arms. That's God for you, always. So, you know, to all of our friends in the city who pray to the universe, that's really not a good idea, who send positive thoughts out into the universe. The universe is impersonal. It's brutal, man. But our creator God is caring. He's loving. So no matter what you've done, and I mean that, okay, no matter what you've done, Yesterday or 10 years ago, you know, a lot of times on Testimony Night, we talked about what happened 10 years ago. A lot of us, what happened yesterday, no matter what you've done, no matter your worst day, your worst conflict, Jesus stands with open arms for you right now. You haven't run too far. You're not a lost cause, okay? He wants to chat with you, to know you, for you to turn to him in times of devastation and pain. He wants a relationship with you. You know, and I mentioned, uh, if you sense conviction of sin, to find somewhere to go off and pray, but some of us need to pray, God, I, I don't even feel conviction anymore. You know, God, I, I want to feel conviction. God, so we need to pray, God, bring back conviction in my life. I, I want to sense what David is sensing about. Because, and sin kind of does that to us. It's really easy to grow numb in our sin. And that's actually what death feels like. You know, you know when, in Titanic, remember, whenever Jack, whenever Rose wouldn't scooch over, so Jack died. Remember that part? There was room. Go stand in front of a door. Two people can, like, he, she, he would have fit. That's all I'm saying. 
Okay. So it wasn't like Jack felt this moment of pain and he died. Okay. It was like this slow numbing, freezing, all of a sudden he was dead. And so sin can do that to us. We drift further and further and further into it. So tell God about that. God, I, I want you to bring back conviction. Confess it. Talk through it. Write through it. Okay. So my second observation, moving on from Psalm 51, that I've learned the hard way. Hello. Nothing robs you of joy like sin. Y'all listen to your pastor. Okay, I prom- I've learned this the hard way. All right. Look at verse 11 again. God, cast me, not aw- cast me not away from your presence. He's like, Father, don't go. Did you feel that in your bones, man? Uh, think back to a time, again, yesterday or 10 years ago, of a shameful sin. It just feels like God is a million miles away, doesn't it? Uh, but guess what? He's not. I-, I confessed a few weeks ago that I've used a phrase for a long time in ministry that's just dead wrong. I used to refer to people who are far from God. But the fact no such people exist because we're all one breath away from God. James 4 says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. In other words, if you say yes to God, he'll be there in a moment. Okay? Don't let your actions, I failed, become your identity. I'm a failure. That's, don't make that connection that we so easily make. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And David knows that. He's just kind of processing. right? And so... He's giving his feelings and doubts and fears to God in prayer. Then in verse 12, David prays for his joy to be restored because his joy is gone. Because of his sin, his joy is gone, which is exactly the opposite of every message that we hear. We we hear, we're preached to from outside, if you'll just sin a little more, you're going to be happy, but that's the exact opposite. That's not true at all. Because of his sin, his joy is gone. So there's this amazing story in the Old Testament about Hosea, one of God's followers, and God calls Hosea to go rescue and marry a prostitute named uh, Gomer, okay? And so he does. So, so Hosea goes and he rescues her out of that, and then they get married. They have a couple kids, and then she abandons her family and goes back into prostitution. And, it's, and it happens a few times. It's this amazing story of the gospel. And the final time that Hosea rescues his wife out of that life and into, back into their home, he says, this time I'm going to go rescue my wife, and she's going to sing again like she did in her youth. So That's what sin does. It it robs you of your voice. It robs you of your life. David said, Father, please don't leave me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, please. So nothing robs you of joy like sin. Third observation, and this happens all throughout the Psalms. David uncovers his own emotions by telling God what he's feeling. So, so. You know, this is one of the reasons that your view of God is so important, right? So if, if you view God as mad at you all the time or aloof to your circumstances, something like that. So if you understand that God is for you, his love and care is for you, you'll more regularly get into a habit of expressing your feelings first to God. You see that? So sometimes, like my kids will be trying to tell me something, and my kids are little, they're 10, 9, and 4, and they'll be like kind of struggling to find the, the words or the phrase even to express their thought, but the whole time, I know what they're trying to say. Dads, y'all know what I'm talking about? And, you know, I even kind of see where the whole conversation is going. But I don't go, all right, Cole, bro, get there. Okay, let's, time is money, bro, let's go. Okay, go, 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 go. No, I, I love just kind of listening 
and letting them get there. There's nothing better than when my kids are talking about something that's important to them and I just get to listen and talk through it with them, right? So that's God in your life. He's patiently and attentively listening as you get there, as you pray, and you're trying to fill in the gaps of what you're feeling and what you're thinking and your fears and your doubts and your failures. He kind of sees all that already, and he kind of lets you get there. You know, in our culture, generally, there are two acceptable emotional reactions for pain or embarrassment or the things that we're talking about today. In our culture, two acceptable emotional reactions, okay? Anger and withdrawal, okay? Anger and withdrawal. So, and I'll add, you know, that what it often means to be a man, in our culture at least, is to bury your feelings, to never admit vulnerability. This is one of the reasons, a primary reason that we live in, primary reason that we live in such a hollow society, right? So, you know, uh, Many of us don't have real community. We live in our own heads. We live in a virtual world, and there's just so much resentment that builds and builds and builds and builds, never admitting weakness, never admitting fear, never showing vulnerability. And the result of that is not having the tools or even the vocabulary to open up, which is something that our souls really need. So God wants you to start working on that with him. Okay, David, you know, you can really tell as you read this psalm that he's scared. He's desperately embarrassed at the beginning of this psalm. And he sort of bounces around until he finds and names what he's really feeling, which is that God might abandon him. At the beginning of this psalm, he's not going, God, I don't want you to abandon me. But as he, as he prays, as he bounces around, he finally names it in verses 11 and 12 and goes, God, don't leave me. Okay, so my last, so, uh, my last observation from verses 16 and 17 is this. David found God's heart in prayer. So not only did David name and find what he was feeling, David found God's heart for him. Let's read those verses again, verses 16 and 17. God, you you will not delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it. You're not going to be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. He's like, oh, God, it's not like a big tithe check is going to fix this. You know, some sort of sacrifice is not going to do it. What you want is repentance, a contrite and broken spirit in me, humility in me that comes out of me. Oh, you're not trying to abandon me. You want to help change me for my own sake. So as David prays to God and pours out his pre-reflective emotions and thoughts at his feet, he finds God's heart for him. And so, which is brokenness, right? David needed brokenness. He's a king. Imagine how many people he would have hurt if he didn't have brokenness at this point of his life. And God cares about that because he cares about all people. And imagine how hurt David would have been at the end of his life if he never had this brokenness, never been humbled in this way. At the end of his life, imagine how broken and desperate he would have been if he'd gone on in his sin. So David should be devastated. Let's not miss that. The taste of sin should be so bitter that this never happens again. And so that David uses his position and power for good now, which he says he's going to do in verse 13. Now that he sees the light, he's like, I'm going to use my position to now teach other men to not act this way. So we often think, right, we, we think that prayer is, you know, kind of getting God's help on some matters in our lives. But prayer is not kind of putting God to work on your to-do list, but it's inviting God to work on you. Okay. David started his prayer by asking for mercy, and that prayer was answered. Not by the way, not by way of God just making it all go away, but by showing David that the path toward freedom was repentance and humility. 
So here's a practice that I want to encourage you to add to your daily waking habit as you wake up, okay? So for the first thing you do everything, every day, start by praying, okay? So, and you might have a direction of what you want to pray when you first wake up. That's fine, but I have a suggestion, okay? So as you wake up every day, try it out every day this week. As you wake up every day, pray this. Father, I want to talk with you today. Father, you could even say dad if you want to get kind of crazy with it, okay? Father, So the first thing when you wake up, Father, I want to talk with you today, and I know that you're going to listen. I know you care for me. Leave that up for just a second. So uh, you know how uh, I've added this back recently. You know how John in the scriptures, he never says, he never refers to himself as John. He refers to himself. He nicknames himself as the one who Jesus loved. That's hilarious. Okay, so here's, here's what I've been doing lately. I'll say, so my, for my waking prayer, I'll say, Father, it's me, the one you love. And I'll tell you what, it's really fun. Okay, so maybe you want to add that in there too, okay? It's me, the one you love. I want to talk with you today, and I know you're going to listen. I know you, the first thing when you wake up. See, habits are fascinating little things, okay? By doing something over and over and over, and modern neuroscience shows uh, this as well, that habits occur in the deepest part of our brains, the basal ganglia. Google it, okay, as it were. Your brain literally has an autopilot, okay? That's how you're able to buckle your seatbelt as you back out of the driveway and talk on the phone, okay? It's autopilot kicks in on at least two of those, okay? So, and it's why a four-year-old's attention is totally consumed by tying his or her shoes because there's no, that hasn't, the autopilot hasn't necessarily kicked in yet, okay? So your brain, in this autopilot mode, develops ruts, okay? And so... Uh, so as it were, so where the wheels just kind of naturally and easily go, and you don't stop easing into those ruts, okay? You practice, your, you practice yourself into it, and now it's time to practice your way out. So back to my encouragement of you having a waking prayer. Just think, okay, so when the first thing I do in the morning is roll over, grab my phone, and start checking texts and emails, I wake to performance, Right? I begin my day trying to accomplish. When the first thing I do is social media, I wake to comparison and envy. When the first thing I do in the morning is check the news headlines, I begin with fear and anger. When the first thing I do is check my calendar, I begin with busyness. Right? So habits are small, they're unconscious, which is why they're so powerful. We need to wake up to how we wake up. Amen. Sometimes you got to amen yourself. Okay, so as we see that David processed his shame with God, He unearthed his emotions with God, that he found God's heart in prayer. We come to realize that one of the things that we need to do is just kind of increase our prayer and create new habits for more conversation with God.